Father, we ask that you would help us to hear your voice tonight as we turn to your word. Give us energy and strength to concentrate, free our minds from distractions, from the things that compete for our attention now, and help me to speak clearly. And please, would you renew our commitment to your kingdom as we see uh, how you are committed to establishing your kingdom through Jesus Christ, the King we need. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, do turn back to 1 Samuel, and um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And we're actually going to be looking at the smaller section towards the end of 1 Samuel chapter 10. Um, if you are following Jesus tonight or wondering what it would mean to follow Jesus, then the prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples is a great help because at the start of that prayer, after he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, he says, your kingdom come. And when he talks about the kingdom coming, he is, is talking not about a kingdom on a map, but he's talking about the result of people responding to him by bowing the knee and taking him, Jesus, as their king. And as that happens, his kingdom is being extended. That was the, the first message that the disciples headed out with, and it is a message that we hope to make clear here at St. John's. And in between the disciples going out telling people to repent and believe the good news that Jesus is the king that we need, to, to doing that today, the kingdom has been expanding around the world in the hearts of people as they bow to Jesus as their king. But the fact that that prayer includes your kingdom come, it reminds us that that is what is happening that is what God is doing in the world. That is true. His kingdom is coming. But Jesus encourages disciples to pray that prayer because he knows that in our lives, in time and space now, on planet Earth, there will be a tension. Where we know about the kingdom, but we struggle to make it the priority we should. So right at the start of the prayer, he says, pray your kingdom come. He also says, seek first my kingdom. Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom, other people coming to Jesus and bowing to him as king is to be a priority for his people. Now, especially at a time like this, when most of us, I think, are feeling under pressure, hard pushed, the future, it seems, is very uncertain in terms of what will happen next. And it is quite possible that, that even as Christians, we're struggling to feel hopeful. And with those circumstances, there will be a tension within us where it is hard 
to uh, not just have the focus on what we're doing and what is happening to us. That will be pulling us one way, and at the same time we'll be hearing the words of Jesus encouraging us to keep a focus on what God is doing. So the tension, what's happening to us, versus what God is doing. That will be a hard thing to live with just now. But also at this time, the kingdom will continue to just look very unimpressive. What is God doing at the moment through what is happening? How can the current circumstances be good for our families, our friends, our evangelism, and the growth of the church? Especially at this time, we can be vulnerable, I think, to being discouraged in these different areas because it just looks so unimpressive and it looks so hard to see a way forward. It's not surprising then if we are feeling it is hard to be wholehearted about seeking first the kingdom, and if we're being distracted from praying confidently for God's kingdom to come. We want to hear the encouragement of Jesus, don't we, tonight, to seek first his kingdom and to pray confidently for his kingdom to come. And tonight's passage, I think, is going to help us to be renewed in our commitment to God's kingdom, because it shows us how God is utterly committed to establishing his kingdom. In 1 Samuel, we've been seeing a tension in recent weeks between what the people want and what God is trying to do. There's a tension where we've heard that they want a king like all the other nations. They have a very fixed idea about what they need and how things, how they want to be ruled. But God is saying to them, that's the wrong kind of king to want. So there's a tension in 1 Samuel at this stage. And last week we saw in chapter 8 that the people of Israel, they were adamant about the king that they wanted, despite God warning them. If you turn back just to chapter 8 and just towards the end of chapter 8, in verses 19 and 20, they persist in saying that they want a king over us. Verse 20, then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And so God says to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king. And that's how chapter 8 finishes. And at the start of chapter 9, we meet a tall bloke called Saul, and he is sent on a donkey hunt and ends up in a place called Zuf. And there, as Corin explained, he meets Samuel, God's prophet, God's spokesperson, the messenger who brings the words of God to his people. And so God has set up behind the scenes a meeting between uh, Samuel and Saul, and he tells Samuel in advance. And then chapter 10 uh, divides into two sections. In the first half, we've got Saul anointed and confirmed as God's chosen leader, but it's done privately. And then in the second half, from 17 to the end, 
it's confirmed publicly at this ceremony in Mizpah. And that's what we're going to focus on, 17 to, uh, to the end, to 20 to 27 of chapter 10. And praying that we will be helped to see how God in these verses shows us his commitment to establishing his kingdom. Three things that help us see that. The first thing is God's complaint, verses 17 to 19. God's complaint. Follow along with me. Chapter 10 and verse uh, 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt and delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses, and you have said, no, set a king over us. We begin here with another reminder from Samuel of the people's great sin in rejecting God as their king. You see, in pursuing the kind of king that they want, one like the other nations, one, they say, ironically, who will lead them into battle, they are rejecting their God who has done what for them? Saved them and led them in battle and delivered them out of the hands of oppressors. That is why this is so criminal, because of the words in verses 18 and 19. God had brought them up. He had delivered them. He had saved them. And at the heart of this pursuit, in their hearts is a rejection of their God who has saved them. And that's God's complaint. You have rejected your God who saves you. Now, as complaints go, if you've been following the story, this is spot on. The Israelites are in the wrong, and they are guilty of this sin. And this background in these opening verses, what's summarized, the sin of his people is not going to derail God's plans. Incredibly. He is not going to cast them off, even though that's what they deserve. He is still going to work with them and through them to establish his kingdom. That's the first thing I want us to see in this opening section. The second thing that shows us God's commitment to his kingdom is God's choice. Look down at verses 20 to 24 and see here in these verses how God is at work. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. So what's happening here is lots are being drawn, and, and by that they are narrowing down who's left from the tribes and the clans and the people. And one by one, these are being whittled away to show God's choice. Chosen, chosen, chosen. 
And then when Saul is chosen, he can't actually be found. And they have to inquire again of the Lord, and he says he's hiding in the supplies. And so when they bring him out, listen to Samuel's words in verse 24. He said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? This is to highlight God's choice. And look at the choice. Impressive. It's one of those moments where you would hear a sort of ding as Saul smiles or tries to smile. Strong jawbone, big white teeth, hair. He looks the part. He looks like the type of chap that you would want leading you into battle, taller than the rest. And the people shout, long live the king. They declare him as king. Through this event, through these verses, what, is, what are we being shown in God's word? What is being emphasized that God did the choosing? We, we, are, we are to leave these verses absolutely certain that God is the one who has chosen Saul. That is what this process was to show the people then publicly. And we know that because we've been reading along, if we've been reading along, we've, we've heard bits in chapter 9 that, that showed how Samuel and Saul were brought together, how Samuel and Saul were told of God's plan for Saul to be the leader and the deliverer. And now Saul is being confirmed to Israel as God's choice. What has God done? He has given them the king that they desire. But the process emphasizes that he is completely in control of this. This has been his choice. So it's not that it looks like he's been outmaneuvered by the people and had to give in to what they want. It has been his choice. He is saying, you are going to have this man. See here his sovereignty at work, his will happening, his choice, his plans moving forward. That's the second thing to see and to remind us and show us and convince us that God is establishing his kingdom. The third thing, Samuel explains in verse 25, the conditions of kingship. We've got God's conditions for the king, the leader. Verse 25, Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people, each to his own home. God's conditions, the king must live under God's word. It's as simple as that. His word is the way that God's king has to live. His word is to be like the rails of a train track along which the train will travel. And while the train stays on those tracks, it's the way God wants it. But if the train leaves those tracks, it's disaster. And here, 
Um, We're being shown that Saul is to be a man, a leader under authority. That's why Samuel announces and, and writes up these things for him and for the people. If you want to chase this up in your notes, then it probably goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. In verses 14 to 20, something very similar about the rights and duties of the kingship. In summary, God is telling his people through Samuel that God's king must live by God's word. Those are the conditions. And those are the conditions by which any leader going forward in God's kingdom must conduct himself by So the people have a leader. They feel they have a king. But he is not to be a king like all the other nations have. He is not free to do as he pleases. He is to live under God's word. And maybe that's why right at the end, there are some who are so disappointed, obviously. Did you notice that in the responses in verses 26 and 27? Some were touched by God and were loyal to Saul, but others, verse 27, don't seem to like what they see. I wonder if they were, they were cheering, long live the king. If so, what's changed? Well, might it not be that they've heard what Samuel's passed on from God. My leader, my king, has to live by my word. This isn't what they wanted. It's not what they think they need. They want a king like other nations. To them... This is just foolishness. And they say, how can this fellow save us? Well, we'll see as we go on that actually God is able to bring salvation to his people through a king who submits to him. We'll see that with Saul for a short time. But of course, as we go on in the Bible, ultimately, we will see that in Jesus, God's true king, who always submitted to God's word. People said the same thing about Jesus. How can this fellow save us? They said it then when he died on the cross, and they say it now. How can this fellow save us? To establish God's kingdom, he sent his son. To overcome the sin of his people. Jesus is the only one of God's kings that has truly and completely and perfectly obeyed his word, and it makes him alone the true king of God's people, the king you and I need. Can you see tonight how God in these verses has been working graciously with a people who were sinful? His saved people, sinful but not cast off. He continues with them. 
He is a God of grace. Can you see how he worked powerfully and sovereignly to establish his kingdom that wouldn't, uh, the sin of the people wouldn't knock him off his plan. His kingdom is a sure thing, and it's a sure thing because of Jesus. Yes, it may look unimpressive. It will look foolish to some. Paul reminds us in Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you know this power tonight that Jesus can save? Do you believe this tonight? Because of Jesus, the kingdom will continue to come. Even in these hard times, his kingdom will grow. Tonight, let's see together God's commitment to his kingdom and his commitment to us, his sinful but saved people. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Pray that these things would motivate us tonight to renew our commitment to Jesus and to his kingdom, to seek it first and to pray that it would come. I wanted to finish just with a couple of questions that came to me in preparation that I think I need to reflect on, we can reflect on. What else just now are we seeking in our lives at the moment? What have we forgotten about God that makes us pursue something other than him and his kingdom? And how does God's priority of his kingdom shape our prayers for other Christians, for our families and friends? Let me pray. Father, please, would you help us to be thrilled in our hearts tonight by what we see of your great sovereignty and grace? Please, would we be humbled to know that you have chosen to love and save sinners like us? Please, would you help us to be convinced that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost and please would you help us to seek first his kingdom, to pray for it to come, and to give ourselves to serving you 
in these days. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.